Prepare your ears, humans. Happy, Sad, Confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Aaron Tveit bringing the house down night after night in Moulin Rouge. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Yes, on today's show, you're going to hear the beautiful voice, the sweet intonations of a Broadway professional, a Broadway superstar, really. Uh, if you follow musical theater, you know the name Aaron Tveit. If you follow, you know, if you watch TV or film, you probably also know Aaron Tveit from uh, from. Shows like Gossip Girl to Les Miserables on the big screen. He's had quite the eclectic career, but it's really on the stage where he has shined the most and he's achieved so much uh, going back to his days on Next to Normal and Catch Me If You Can. And now on Broadway as Christian in this new interpretation of Baz Luhrmann's Moulin Rouge. Uh, this is an Epic production, guys. I've seen this one a bunch. Um, I somehow have lucked into seeing it three different times. And it's, um, as I say in the conversation with Aaron, you get your money's worth at Moulin Rouge. It is certainly reflective of Baz Luhrmann's um, iconic classic film and includes a lot of the stuff that you will uh, remember from that production. But it, it really gives it its own twist. There are a ton of a ton of new songs, of modern songs, of songs that have come in the last 10, 20 years, whether it's Adele or Lady Gaga, um, too many to even count. Um, and the from the moment you enter the Al Hirschfeld Theater, uh, you are in a remarkable, you know you're in the hands of a remarkable production. And uh, I can't say enough of how exceptional the performances are in this. And they are certainly led by uh, Aaron Tveit, who is, uh, has like a voice from, from the gods. He's, uh, he's clearly gifted and has, has um, you know, trained his instrument, as it were, to become this kind of Broadway titan that he is. And it was a real pleasure to, to meet Aaron today. I'd never met uh, Aaron. I, he was, he's certainly been on my radar for a bit, and I'm glad that Moulin Rouge was the opportunity for him to come in. He's He's been on this journey with the production for a long while in the workshops and the Boston out-of-town tryout and now on this extended Broadway run. He's really been with the show for over two years and seems to be seems to be loving it. It's a really good marriage of material and an actor. And, uh, and when you have that, you know, why, why look to the next thing? Enjoy the moment. Enjoy a special production like Moulin Rouge. So if you're in the New York area, uh, do what you can and try and check it out. Um, Aaron was, uh, was a, a delight and also worth mentioning. This was his first, not necessarily his first podcast as we discovered. It's his first solo podcast. So I think that, I think, you know, we can take credit for that. He's been on with other people in group conversations, but that doesn't count. This was a tete-a-tete, -a, -tete, a one on one an insightful, provocative uh, um, uh, investigation of his soul. Okay, maybe it wasn't that deep, but it was a good, a good chat. Um, anyway, beyond uh, my conversation with Aaron, uh, a couple other things to mention. Um, a couple cool things on TV to check out. I mentioned this uh, probably back when I was at Sundance. Uh, the Hillary doc is great. It's a four-part series on Hulu. Uh, really enjoyed that one. It's a fascinating um, 
you know, look at uh, a very candid look, I think, at Hillary Clinton's life and career, her uh, the way that her life has dovetailed with the, the women's movement and how she's been an integral part of the last, um, you know, 50 years of politics. Uh, really highly recommend that one. Also, I, you know, I wouldn't be a good brother if I didn't mention amazing stories, amazing stories uh, from the minds of Steven Spielberg, Eddie Kitsis, and yes, Adam Horowitz, my brother. Uh, this is, if you're old like me, you remember the amazing stories of the 80s. This was an anthology series from Steven Spielberg that was kind of, not quite the Twilight Zone, but an anthology like the Twilight Zone that sort of had that Spielberg Amblin heart at the center of it. So fantastical stories that weren't quite maybe as cynical or as dark as the Twilight Zone. They, uh, they have that kind of classic Spielberg spirit. And I've seen a bunch of these and uh, they're a delight. And I'm, and also thrilled at the first episode that was, that's on Apple plus right now stars uh, not only Victoria, but Pedretti, who's clearly a star on the rise, but, uh, our old buddy Dylan O'Brien, former guest on Happy Second Fused. I've talked to Dylan a bunch over the years, thanks to uh, his association with MTV and my association with MTV. So a fun little merging of worlds that Dylan ended up collaborating with another Horowitz on Amazing Stories. So if you have Apple Plus, uh, check that out. Um, you will not be sorry. Uh, that's enough plugs for this week. Now on to the main event. I hope you guys enjoy this chat with Aaron Tveit. And remember, remember... Spread the good word of Happy Sad Confused. Uh, leave us a rating, a review. Uh, it really helps get the word out on this podcast that is, that has been and remains a labor of love for me. And hope you, hopefully you guys get a kick out of it too. Uh, here it is, my chat with Aaron Tveit. I don't think I've ever done a podcast before. What? Yeah. This is, oh God, this is a lot so. of pressure on me now. I listen to a lot of podcasts, but I don't think I've ever done one, so here we go. It's pretty simple. Oh wait, that's not true. We did the billboard one oh, with the show. You're okay. First we, solo. I just fact-checked myself. <laughs> uh, this is my first solo podcast. Right. There we go. You're number one on the call sheet. Yes. This is it. This is the Aaron Debate show. This is it. Wonderful. Josh Horowitz. Um, big fan of your work, man. We've never Thank met you. before, and this is a good opportunity to chat because uh, this is a special piece of work you're involved in right now. It is, yeah. That's a, that's a wonderful... Uh, Wonderful way to describe it. It's special in um, in many ways. Yeah, it's, it's it's insane. So like often, you know, the conversations around any new project, it's like it was like, you know, is this the most challenging thing of your career? And that's sometimes glib. Yeah. In this case, this probably is, I would imagine is probably the most challenging. Yeah. I've, I've seen the show three times by the oh, way. Yeah? Oh yeah. So I I have a I mean I have as much of a sense without getting on stage with you guys. Oh yeah, you really do. <laughs> yeah, I think that's good. Yeah, I think for the first time you're probably taking in all the. The set and everything, and then by no three times. That's that's a that's a real good take on it. No, it's. I think it is probably the most challenging um, thing I've had to do in my career for sure. You know, the eight shows a week is always so difficult. Um, and for me, I haven't I haven't really done eight shows a week in about nine years. So right. to, <laughs> to kind of come back to it, you you know, it's like uh, what do women say about childbirth? You forget the birthing pains. You know, you kind of forget <laughs> uh, you forget how hard it is to 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 be on stage every night, you know? Um, it's an endurance test, and, and for a long run like this, clearly. For a long run, yeah. And that was, you know, we, we did the show in Boston, of course, before, and, you know, that was a bit of a finite experience, and I knew there was an end. So for me, I, I really, I tried to push myself as hard as I could to kind of find out how far I could go into the red physically and still be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, if, but then you, you, then you do a longer run and about four months into this, all of a sudden my shoulder started, <laughs> it's just like all these little <laughs> things, you know, just from the repetitive nature of it. Of but, course. but no, it's, um, 
it's it's an interesting show because the the two acts are so similar are so different. Yeah. The first act is this kind of fun, raucous, funny thing, and then the second act becomes this high drama opera. Right. And so I kind of have to really, yeah, I got I have to do I, I do a lot. Yeah. So for my sense of, of reading up on you and your sensibilities, is yeah, first act is almost the bigger stretch for you. Yeah, right? a little bit. Yeah got to have to be like this like pure optimism romantic yeah yeah and then we're digging into the real yeah yeah I get, to, stuff. I get to re- i get to really brood in the second act <laughs> no it's so it's so interesting like it's a, as an actor i've i've just always found you know i'm always drawn to kind of tough dark different things you know i don't know what that what, what that says about me you know, but uh but that stuff seems to be the stuff that i can kind of just go to, right. you know, and, but this show is very interesting in the fact that like the first, I have to come in as this open yeah. bit naive, you know, and those are the things like if you're tired, if you're, you know, you're, you're having a bad day, other things are going on. It, it's harder to kind of get up for the really positive stuff. Whereas like if you're having a bad day, you can draw, you can, you can just yeah, kind of draw on it and, uh, and go down <laughs> the well state. Yeah. yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> but I guess you have the audience on your side on this yes. one too, because this yeah. is a very unique kind of an audience. Yeah. They go in there, most people in there have probably seen the show, yeah. they've probably seen the movie rather. Yeah. They know what they're getting to a degree, and we can get into that about how you guys have kind of remixed it a yeah. bit. But um, you have to feed off of like, th- there's energy from the start. Like they're, they're there to party. Oh yeah, <laughs> no, it's a, it's a very different audience of any kind of, of any play I've ever done. And I think it's, um, it's people that have seen the movie, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're frequent theater goers just because they've seen the movie. So we, I think we get a lot of people that aren't necessarily musical theater or Broadway fans that sure. kind of come in. Uh, and you know, the, it becomes a bit of a rock concert, which is kind of great because yeah, the things we're, we were just talking about, like when, when, when the, when the audience is giving you that much energy, yeah. you can kind of really ride the wave. And for me, I, I kind of, as you've seen, I, when I kind of walk out at the end of the, our pre-show and kind of when I get to lift the sign, I can feel the there's like a oh, yeah. there's like a bubble in the house, right? The house is it's it almost it feels like a, a a pot that's about to boil, and so I get to really uh, you literally raise the curtain, you step into that. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, and the and the reactions are of all varying degrees. You know, people clap, people laugh, people. You know, and I, I kind of get to play off of that before I lift the sign. I like to kind of <laughs> I like to have everyone quiet Rubble down. Moment, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm in control. Yeah, now. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's just the neurotic Jew in me, but when I watch a show, especially a show like your show, yeah. I'm constantly in fear that you guys are going to die on stage. Yeah, well, there's there's always that, and um, <laughs> I mean, there's so, it's such intricate. I try not to I try not to think about it. Okay, but sorry if you, to put that no, in. No, no, no. But if you but if you really step back away from it, yeah, I mean, there's so many moving pieces. Not to mention the fact that there's, you know, forty thousand pounds of yeah. set strung over our. <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of can't you can't think about that or else it'll ne- the thoughts will never stop. Are yeah. there close calls like at this point? Are there? Do you ha- I mean, you have uh, to like be aware of your surroundings clearly? Yeah, there's all there's always close calls. You know, I mean, yeah. I think you always kind of you get into you really get into a rhythm every night doing the show, and you know you you, you almost don't even think about it. But um, but yeah, I mean, stuff happens. It's live theater. You know, yeah. set pieces. Don't work, work. You know, people are in different places, different people are on. So there's always there's always added elements that you kind of, yeah. you really, as much as you want to get into a rhythm, you have to force yourself to stay, not only present to the show and the story you're telling, but then there's a th- there's like there's part of your brain that needs to stay very present to what's actually physically happening on stage. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it, you've obviously spent a ton of your life on stage. You probably have seen every manner of gaff like i mean you've probably seen yeah. some rough stuff on stage like. i have yes yeah. so, i mean yeah yeah i've seen some 
I've seen well, injuries. I've seen, you know, the, that's the kind of the, the very bad stuff. But, yeah. you know, I've also seen the very fun stuff when people just forget lines and right. say wrong things. And <laughs> I've, I've told this story before. You know, my first job, I was, I was on the national tour of Rent, you know, many years ago. And there was a moment where someone dropped a line. And it was when almost all, almost the entire principal cast was on stage. Someone dropped a line and the music continued to play. And all of us went up on our lines and forgot and no one picked the ball up and there was a i think the stage manager told us it was like a minute and 15 seconds which feels like <laughs> i was gonna say that 15 must, minutes yeah. on stage <laughs> where we all continued to do our blocking oh, no. but no one was speaking until finally this other actor entered and you know disrupted the the moment but yeah <laughs> the so, audience like is this a performance yeah, they, what are they, they doing they don't really yeah but that's the, you know, the beauty is with that show, people really knew. So they knew, but right. some shows you would never know. But, uh, but yeah, every, every, every manner of that you could possibly imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I once was, uh, this is a very, this is a, this is a very funny story. I think it's funny. I was, um, Andrew Rannells was in Hairspray on Broadway right before I was. Mm -hmm. And he was really good friends with the girl who played Tracy. Um, and I was really good friends with the girl who played Tracy. And, you know, as you do in a long run, I think we were, for some reason we were, I don't know if she was getting a drink with Andrew after the show or something. And. So we were talking about him on stage, you know, in a moment where we weren't, you know, our mics weren't up or whatever. And then there was a, there was a moment that I then had to turn and say to, you know, my girlfriend in the show, Amber go. And instead I said, Andrew go. <laughs> and everyone on stage looked at me like, what, what did you? And the girl who played Tracy. I mean, she was no help because she lost it. That was the funniest <laughs> thing that ever happened. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Mm -hmm. so, so every version of that you can imagine. I can imagine. So the, so yeah, how far into the run? You obviously were, you've been in this from the start, the yeah. workshops, the yeah, we've been, we've been working on it for about two and a half years since we started on and off. And then, yeah, we started rehearsal in the beginning of May. We opened in June, July. So yeah, we're about seven, eight months in eight months into the run. So, and you, like you've, you've done long runs before, but what is the yeah. challenge for you? I mean, this is probably where like the training kind of kicks in where you're like yeah. the discipline yeah. of staying present, staying in the moment, keeping it fresh because the people that are out there are seeing it for the first time. Exactly. They don't want to feel like they're seeing it for the exactly. 700th time. Yeah. It's like, this is where like your, you know, your, your, your freshman year acting teachers who tell you you have to make it, uh, as if it's new every time. Right. But they're, they're absolutely right. You know, we, you have to find a way it becomes like a, it becomes like an endurance race and it becomes a, a race of keeping it fresh for yourself and finding. But I, I, I actually love that part of it. Um, I love kind of what starts to happen kind of in the long run of the show is I, I create all of these, um, I create all of these things in my head that are like these different, um, just to fill in all these moments, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of it I've noticed gets tied to music, you know, because there's so much, there's underscoring the whole time. So I end up, you know, I end up kind of moving with musical, different musical phrases as, or when I'm moving or when I'm turning, when I'm looking at someone. And as it goes on, it, it has switched in my head that the music is actually following me. Oh my God. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I got So you. it's like, so there, so then there are shows where that gets off and I get thrown, but no, I, I just kind of, I try to create this whole, like when I was doing next to normal years ago, I, um, I spent so much of that show on stage kind of sending energy or receiving energy from other people without I was kind of lurking, but, uh, but, um, you know, Michael Greif, the director, he would, he always wanted me to be in contact with our set, yeah. like touching the poles or something. And in that I had created all of these things that in different moments where the kind of sense of my character was manipulating my mom and dad in the show, I would kind of 
touch a pole at a certain moment where that stuff would happen. So I, so I, I'm always looking, you know, the more time goes on, I want to, I want to kind of flush out this stuff just even in my own head. And yeah. even, even though no one would really ever know that, and probably everyone listening thinks I'm insane no. for saying that, but, uh, but it, it, I think it's the, it are, it's things like that that in the long run everything just gets flushed out yep. and more full and and um, and it's just it for me, you know the the curiosity I have about just doing the same thing every night it's it keeps me so engaged because I'm always thinking about new things. It's such a curious show because the first time I saw it I wasn't sure what I was going to get and I'm sure a lot yeah. of people could be like me or a lot of people probably come in with preconceived notions yeah. that they're going to get like the note for note right. remake of the movie. Right. Um, and I think it's a very clever, smart production in that it, it's totally clearly its own beast. Yeah. It's kind of like a, a, a remix of yeah. what was already a remix. Right, right, yeah. Of, yeah, Baz kind of remixed this, uh, this story with pop culture elements, and we remixed that. Put yeah. it back in the blender yeah. and came up with something different, altogether yeah. different, yet very familiar. And, and uh, it follows the same beats, but there's a ton of new music. Yeah. Um, by the time you got to like opening night, like generally speaking, or in this specific case, do you know what you've got? Do you feel confident that like this is going to work and this is going in this specific case where it's like you are trying to appeal to an audience yeah. that is familiar with the work already. Like, Oh shit, have we gone too far afield? Are they going to ride this out with us or what? Yeah. With this, sh with it's not always the case, but with this show, by the time we got to opening night on Broadway, I was 99% confident, excuse me, that we had, you know, we had what we had, Yeah. which is, you know, you're never hundred percent confident, but, uh, but no, but also I think our, our Boston run taught us so much. I think, you know, we did a, we did a lab here in New York where we kind of worked on the material in a black, like a off, off Broadway black box space in the, you know, the, in, in the lower East side where, and that's that. So that was my, that, that's what was in my head about the show. And like the, the first day we got to the Emerson colonial in Boston and walked in to the theater and saw this set, I was like, Oh, <laughs> oh, this, is, oh, this is the show. So you were in the Lars von Trier, like black box yes, theater. We were version. way down. I mean, it was like, you know, we were I'm like, kind of curious to see that version too, frankly. It could have worked. Yeah. I mean, it definitely wouldn't have been, you know, but it's funny. I, I do think that there's a version of the show that could have been the like down, yeah. at the box yeah. and been like, you know, R rated. And, you know, the whole thing, obviously, that's not what they want to, you know, sure, sure. sell to, uh, the commercial uh, <laughs> theater going audience, but uh, no, but, but that, but that when we had our first audience in Boston, the way that they responded to the music, the way that they responded to all the changes in music with the numbers. I remember, I, I think I, I, I texted or called my manager right afterwards. And I said, you know, I, I think I'm going to be doing this one for a long time. Yeah. You know, it was so, so kind of right from the get, just the response we had was, uh, was kind of, it was like nothing I'd ever really experienced before. Is, is it, it must be challenging. I mean, knowing nothing, I have no ear for, you know, singing or anything, but like challenging from a vocal perspective, like you're, you're, you're shifting constantly. Yeah. I mean, certain, there are certain songs where you, you're doing it straight through. Mm -hmm. I would imagine that's almost a little bit easier in a way than kind of like constantly. Yeah. The jumping back and forth. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, they, John Logan and Justin Levine, I think, you know, John Logan, a book writer, Justin Levine is kind of our music wizard, everything, yeah. uh, who put all these songs together. Th you know, they've, they've told the story about when they were trying to work on this, they, I think rented a, they like were in a hotel room for three or four days. And John basically outlined the script and said, this is what 
the story beats I want to tell. And then Justin, I think, went through and picked like five different songs for every story moment. Right. To that, just like song of his dreams, like sure. if we could have anything. And so, and then they, you know, they, they, they parsed that down to what's in the show. And basically, I think we got the rights somehow for about 90% of what they wanted. Uh, and so I think the music, and even though it's pop music, I think it tells the story so well in all these moments that actually for me now, I forget that they're pop songs right. in a way. You know, it's all, maybe it's kind of tied into what we were just talking about, about but it's, it's, all, it's all completely tied into, you know, the story for me every night. Um, what but in the, the beginning, it was hard because I knew all the songs. And right. so, so I had to separate to that. myself. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So what are, the moments, I mean, uh, what are the moments that you're anticipating each night from an audience perspective? Like what do you know and you're excited to see sort of them respond to? Yeah. Um, well, right from the get, when I lift the sign and kind of the, the first bass beat hits, yeah. it's so loud. And I, I mean, I can feel it in my chest, but you know, I then run to the back of the house and downstairs to then get ready for my entrance into the opening number. And every single night there are, when I walk, cause I'm facing the audience as I'm walking out of the house, I can see them. They're just people with their jaws dropped <laughs> kind of when that curtain goes up and the four women are in, you know, our, our four lady M's are in silhouette looking like giants on stage. Uh, so there's, I, I, I love that every night. Um, there's a really cool moment, I think. You know, I used to sing this killer song when I came in, when I met the Bohemians. I used to sing All These Things I've Done, which was like, you know, it was like my favorite killer song Amazing. from that album. And Was that a rights thing or that was a creative thing? It was a creative thing. Yeah. And at the, they, they got rid of it, but instead put in where I do the, um, when I sing Sound of Music and then I sing Paula Cole and I sing Every Breath You Take and then, you know, the um, Never Gonna Give You Up. So, but that tells the story. That That's like, you're meeting these people, but I think that's a genius thing because it, we're like teaching the audience how the show works yeah. with that, you know, that back and forth in like a really, really smart streamlined way. Yeah. And I can, so hearing the audience's response there. And then when we get to shut up and dance every single night, you know, it's like, I can hear the audience responding to two things. Like I can hear them, like I, they're responding to me starting to sing shut up and dance with me, which 99% of the people in the audience know what that song sure. is. But then I also kind of hear them, you know, I picture like the two old ladies like sitting in the audience and one of them like, turns like, to the other yeah. and says, you see, because <laughs> exactly. she, she is his destiny. Oh, so that that's why he's saying that's it's, clever. She's my destiny, you know, but, <laughs> exactly. it, but it, there's, there's this yeah. knowing thing that happens yeah. about 15, 20 minutes into the show. And then the audience just from there goes on the ride. When, when you first sing it, it is sound of music, right? That's sound the, of music. Yeah. It, I mean, from my perspective and I, I've, I know, I know your capabilities and abilities before this, but it's like. It must be such a an adrenaline boost because it's like, oh, there's a superpower. Like you, yeah. you open your mouth and well, suddenly you. it's like, thank you. Oh wow, <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty cool. It's very very cool. When we were staging that number and the way that I'm kind of on the little riser, I mean, it's a. Uh, um, Alex, Alex says it's Dolly Levi, right? It's like Dolly's entrance coming down the staircase. It's not quite that, but, <laughs> but that's the, that's what he told me in my head. You know, that's what he told me to think about in that moment. So that's my, that's my hello Dolly moment. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people have come in to see this show. People yeah. that have been, uh, not only, uh, regular folk like me, but Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman came very, she and Keith Urban were there very early on. And that was really, 
Amazing. Do you like to know that before that night? Like, what's your what's your general? Like, do you like to know friends, family, celebs that are in the audience? Or? I want to know. I want to know everyone every night they're there. Yeah, there's Seriously? there's some there's some actors that don't yeah. want to know. Um, I respect that. You know, I've I've worked with a lot of people that you know in other shows and this show that don't want to know. But I don't I don't know. I don't know if it's like a. I I think I have something broken in my brain that's like a very. Um, it's a it's like a, goes back to sports. It's like a competitive thing that like. I particularly, if there's, if there, if I know there are people in the audience, it just gives me, um, like a focus, not that I'm not focused on other nights, but it just, it just gives me a greater, uh, focus for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah. So Nicole's been in, Baz has been involved to a degree, right? Baz and Catherine, um, they came and saw the lab that we did. And then I think from that, Catherine came and saw it in Boston. And then between Boston and New York, they were very involved. I think a couple couple changes were, you know, I think they kind of were hinting at putting in a couple specific moments yeah. that are really, really from the movie that weren't there initially that I think were so smart to put in. And also just having them kind of be our, you know, I like to say they're our like fairy godparents in a way. You know, they... They're, they're kind of, they're these two larger than life people that are these yeah. like incredible artists and they're doing a million things at all times, but they just, you know, to have them, to know that they're on board and yeah. to know that we have their, not only their blessing, but to know how proud of the show they are is really, cause you never, you know, you're, you're, you're really, you're working with someone's baby, you know, they birthed this thing. And so you yeah, want to protect well, and, that. And in particular, someone like Baz, who like, I've had the pleasure of doing a lot with, I actually did like a 10th anniversary special that yeah. Moulin Rouge oh, with wow. Baz and Catherine years ago. And, um, he, all his projects, like, I mean, he's, yeah. he lives these it's projects. So he doesn't make a movie a year. He makes a no. movie every five yeah, years exactly. and they're like really special to yeah. him. And this one probably more than any. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's someone on the feature side. I mean, that must be someone that you'd love to. Oh yeah, with, I would right? love to. I would love to work with him on the feature side for sure. I just think his his uh, his vision, and you know, we we got a little taste of it. We um we did like a Vogue shoot that he shot, oh, wow. you know, as like the, yeah. as the as the photographer, and even that, like even just even just working with him and how he went about staging us for this shot, he basically had given us all acting like beats and moments yeah. and while he was shooting wanted us all to work through them and then when he found something that he liked he would say to this couple okay stay in that stay in that world stay in this world and so the way he just set up this one shot yeah. was so creative and and fun i was you know that if i ever had a, not that i didn't want to work with him but i <laughs> but i was like I, I can only imagine what he's like on set not to mention he's a guy that's like he loves his actors yeah. and like if you're in a Baz Luhrmann film you're gonna look like yeah oh yeah you're going to look like a million bucks. Yeah. I, I know some people that worked on the production side of the get down and they said the Netflix series and they said the same thing. You know, they, they basically like, uh, spent, he spent so much of Netflix's money to do that, but it was, know, it was, you know, they let him do it because it, the product, the way it comes out. Totally. All right. So let's go back a little bit. So, uh, where'd you grow up? I grew up up in the Hudson Valley. Okay. Yeah, about an hour, hour or so, hour 15 North of, uh, North of the city and, um, coming down to the city much for theater and coming down to the city a lot. Yeah. I was, um, I like to tell people probably by the time I was 15 or 16, I think I'd been to every museum in New York with different (laughs) school groups. Um, yeah. I came at least once a year with my high school choir. Uh, we saw, we would, it was a kind of a great tradition. We'd come down in November after school one day, go skating at Woolman rink and then go to a Broadway show. It was like, so I, so I had one of those a year at least. And then, yeah. And then my family, we came down and, you know, saw, uh, the Christmas show a couple times. We saw a couple uh, Broadway shows together. So yeah, I, I was I was very lucky to kind of be exposed to that, you know, 
so so closely in a, in a way. And when you think to, I mean, you can see like my pop culture. Oh yeah, this is literally I'm on my wall. Obsessed with this. Uh, Which one? Ghostbusters. <laughs> Ghostbusters. Okay. Yeah. I always say this is like how I can gauge whether I like the person or not. Yeah. If they recognize that that's I'm Ghostbusters. Staring too. that. Yeah. It's my intimidation tactic. It's pretty good. Vigo the Carpathian mm-hmm. is judging you. Vigo is always judging. <laughs> and I also love uh, I love the Kurt Russell behind your head too. Thanks, man. Yeah, so what uh, what are the uh, if you had a silly office like this? What are the posters? What are the movies? The people that influenced you as a kid? Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, Ghostbusters was big for me. Um, there'd be a lot, there'd be Jim Carrey posters up, sure. um, you know, kind of that, uh, the amazing 1994 year of Ace Ventura, Dumb and Dumber and the Mask is like, you think about that. It's like, how did someone <laughs> who basically, you know, who was and out of nowhere, out of nowhere, right? you know, um, lots of, lots of Jim Carrey, um, lots of Tom Hanks, you know, there'd be a Forrest Gump poster up somewhere. Yeah. You know, those are, those are really the, you know, those kind of, kind of early, early mid nineties films are the ones that I just watched over and over again. And seemingly, you alluded to your interest in sports. Like you yeah. kind of led a double life in a way as a yeah. kid. You like these were your twin passions. Yeah, and I was I was very fortunate that I my brother and I went to different high schools because mm. we moved. Um, I have a f- brother who's five years younger than me, and we moved before my junior year. And I kind of illegally stayed at my <laughs> previous high school. Um, but uh, but my brother went to a high school where you had to choose specifically between doing any kind of arts and drama and sports. And so for me at my high school, they encouraged you to do everything like our, you know, our, for instance, our play practice, if you're in the school play was like six to nine at night. So you could go to your sports practice or go to your sports game and then go late to play. You know, it was just the way they wanted you to do it. Um, Because if, when I was 14, you know, 14 years old in ninth grade, if, if, if I had had to choose between, I never would have done a play or a musical. Right. That wasn't, you know, cool thing no, it do. just wasn't, yeah. it wasn't even on my radar. You know, right. it wasn't something that I was, um, aware of, interested in. And I was so kind of tied in with my friends cause I was, you know, such close friends with all the guys I played sports with that I just wouldn't have, I don't think I would have at that time had the foresight yeah. to take that chance or something. Did people around you, teachers or, 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 or whatever, like identify your talent early on? Like were people like saying to your parents and you like, this yeah, legitimately got a gift. My my high school music teacher, you know, chorus teacher. He kind of, uh, you know, I, I, it's a, it's like a, I've heard many people that are that I've met. You know, they, it's like, why did you, I auditioned for the school play in ninth grade because somebody told me that a lot of girls did it, sure. and I was like, okay, I guess I'll go do that. Um, but I got, you know, it was a little shop of horrors. I got cast as a lead in the show. I, I had no, I, you know, no, no one had ever responded to me singing or anything before, and then I remember in one early play practice or something that I had gotten up in front of everyone that was doing the show, like in our chorus room and everyone's back was to me. And I just like stood up in the front and I was like singing a bit of the thing. And I turned around and everyone had all of a sudden gone silent and was kind of staring at me. But I, and I, and I thought it was very strange. I didn't really know why everyone was looking at me. And then my cousin who was in the show, who was a senior when I was a freshman, she kind of told me afterwards, like, Oh my God, everyone thinks you're so good. I was like, I said, really? <laughs> no idea. Um, and that feeds into, I mean, like once you get a little encouragement yeah, at that no, and age, then I, you're like, oh. I was like, oh, maybe I should do this. And yeah. then I think before my j- junior year, um, like the summer between my sophomore and junior year of high school, my course teacher, he kind of said, you know, if I, I, he said, I think you have a real talent for this, you know, and that could, you know, be something. Yeah. But he, I, he's, he encouraged me to go take voice lessons, which I'd never done before. Um, and uh, so I did that and I was very fortunate to have a voice teacher at that age that didn't try to change my voice. You know, he was like, a not, had been a, you know, kind of a premier opera singer for a while. And 
my voice is, you know, he, he basically said, I'm not going to make you sing like me. I just want you to learn how to use your own instrument. And so, yeah, I had a couple, like those people were really, you know, integral at that age to kind of say, okay, but, but still I didn't, I didn't know anyone that went to school for theater. I didn't know anyone who right. did that. And so then when I went to college, I, um, I auditioned, I applied to all these schools for business. I was going to go study economics right. and I got like scholarships to go to school for business because I was the, I was also the president of this business program that I was in in high school because yeah you know I was like a 90s high school kid I did everything possible you could ever imagine you know I like, like Alex P. Keaton, I would leave at 6 30 in the morning and come home at 10 o'clock at night in high school but um so yeah so I I and then I got I, I auditioned for Boston University music program yep. and I auditioned for Ithaca College music program I did not get into Boston University I got into Ithaca. Does Ithaca have a well? Uh, they have a great music school. Yeah, um, really great music school. And I had a, a, an aunt of an aunt of mine who's a music teacher went to Ithaca to study oh, nice. music. And so that was kind of how I knew about Ithaca. And uh, you know, I got in, and of course, got no money, no scholarships or anything. And my parents said, "Do what you need to do." You know, they were uh, kind of looking back. You kind of can't believe right. that they did that, and uh, they made it work and paid for me to go to college there somehow. <laughs> and um, but even that, I, I was a music major for a year, and I thought I made a really bad mistake because I was not happy as a music major. Um, and then I was really lucky that my voice teacher also had a bunch of students that were musical theater majors. Right. And we all had like a rep class where we'd meet once a week and everyone in her studio would sing. And kind of from the first time I sang, the musical theater majors were looking at me kind of saying, why are you not a musical theater major? Um, and so at the end of that first year, I was, I had started the process to reapply to all these business schools that I had turned down, but kind of on a whim, I went and auditioned for the musical theater program. Right. And they told me in the room that I had been accepted because they knew that I was in the process of maybe transferring. And so I was like, okay. And then I think I, I went home for spring break and you know, I was, I think, I guess I was depressed or something. And my parents, I remember they said to me, they said, you know, why are you, why are you depressed? What's going on? Cause I'm usually, you know, a very positive person. And I said, oh, I don't know. I'm thinking about switching to musical theater. I don't I know. It's like not that we should be studying. And my parents said to me, they said, you're, they said, you're 18 years old and you're broke. They're like, if you try this for five years and you're broke, who cares? Do something else. But at least you tried it. So they were so unbelievably supportive at like a very crucial time, yeah. you know, where they could have easily said, no, you're going to, going to go study economics. And if you want to go mess around with that later, you can, you know, and they didn't. So I was very lucky that they were so supportive. And you found success pretty, I mean, so you went, you ended up at Ithaca for just a year and then you found, you got yeah, I switched a, to the theater right. program. So I was, so I, I was there for a year as a music major. Then I switched to theater. Um, didn't really get cast in anything in school. Um, <laughs> there's irony. Yeah. There was a, I had like some, some people say that they almost cut me my first year. And if it wasn't for like the music faculty, I wouldn't have gotten cut. And it was very <laughs> strange. I was very, I was very shocked because I was working so hard. And, um, and then by a kind of insane set of circumstances, after three semesters as a musical theater major, I got cast in the rent tour. Right. Um, because it turns out that the, the music director for this tour was, uh, they were like in Syracuse or something and he came to do a master class at Ithaca and we did like a mock rent audition for him. We all like, you know, dressed in our rock star clothes and tried to sing rock songs. And I, I remember it, cause it all, it, there was always alphabetical order. So I was always last for things. And I remember I went in and sang last and immediately after I sang kind of in front of all my teachers, he was like, Oh, okay. So we're going to, let's, let's try something. And then he made me sing. I knew the show and he made me sing like three other songs and he said, okay, cool. 
and that was it. And then we kind of all went back in and we're all sitting with him and he made me stand up in front of like all people in my class and sing one of the Rent songs. He said, okay, so when you're auditioning for a rock show, this is how you're going to sing. This is what you want to do, all this stuff. And I, I was like, you know, I, I really didn't understand what was happening. And then afterwards he pulled me aside and he said, okay, so he's like, you're perfect for our show. Can I, you know, get your information if something comes up? Yeah. And I had never had any contact with anyone from the real world, quote unquote. And so I said, yeah, sure, man, here you go. Cool. And then six weeks later, he called me and he said, I can get you into the final callback for this part. I said, okay. And so I, I, I remember I drove down, stayed at my parents' house. My dad and I drove into New York City and went to Chelsea Studios. And I auditioned for Michael Greif and, you know, all the, all the rent people. And uh, I was driving back to Ithaca. And I was like a half an hour outside of the town of Ithaca. And they called me and said, hey, you got the job. You start next week. And I was so, I, I, I was completely shocked has landing any part since then been as satisfying as that first phone call that was or shocking that was uh there's been some satisfying ones for sure but yeah. the shock factor i just had i had no clue you know and i had no you know i just had no idea and um and so then and also that show i had just seen it on broadway i think two years before and that re seeing the show really kind of changed my perspective on musicals because I was like, oh, okay, so we can have music that I listen to in a show. How yep. does that work? Yep. Um, and uh, and so yeah, so then I it was the I, I dropped out of school that day and, and yeah. The, again, the parents were supportive. And the parents were supportive. Yeah, they were. They said, go, go do it. So from there, I mean, it seems like clearly musical theater was the priority then, yeah. or, or or it's where you were achieving success. I mean, we're we're. In those early years, was there an aspiration to do more film or TV, or were you purely so happy with the path that you were on right at the start? Um, no, I think I, I had these like kind of uh, parallel paths in a way. You know, I, I was a, I, I've always been um, kind of a big cinephile, and I loved film, and I loved that. And if, you know, but I didn't. Again, I, I just never. I don't think I ever. Early, when I was young, had any ambition to it because I didn't really understand how one did that. Right. But then once I started working, once I got to New York, I kind of, uh, I immediately poured myself into on-camera acting class. Um, I've been studying with the same teacher for since then for about 16 years, and I still take class, you know, once a week, especially while I'm doing a musical. I try to keep that, you know, kind of fresh and keep those things firing while I'm doing this other thing. But uh, yeah, very quickly, I, I, I fell in love with the craft of kind of being on camera. And as a stage actor, it kind of takes a little bit at the beginning to kind of break through what seemingly feels like very mechanical to act on camera. Mm. But then once I did, I, 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 I totally fell in love with it. And I kind of started auditioning and getting, you know, kind of all the, I did a lot of guest star stuff right. in New York and, you know, Gossip Girl happened, which was like a whole other thing. And I confess, I wasn't the biggest Gossip Girl aficionado, yeah. but the name Trip Vanderbilt—it's a good name. Sounds like a, a, a sweet guy. Yeah, sounds it, like a, like a yeah, good egg. A good egg doesn't sound like a guy you want to punch in the face at all. <laughs> yeah, but it's so funny I say that. There was actually a run. There was a time. You know, my buddies really like to make fun of me, of course, which is wonderful about them. But <laughs> one of my buddies who's very good, he's actually an editor. He edited together a, a loop of me getting punched in the face on camera because there was like a time where I had like four or five oh, no. things in a row where I got knocked out. 
One, some one some was people by, have punchable faces for a time. One know? was by Chase Crawford. One was <laughs> one was by America Ferrera. Oh. Yeah, so I really uh, I, I took some shots there for a while. I'm sorry to hear that, buddy. <laughs> you rebounded. Yeah, but no, it's a uh, but I but I quickly learned I learned something from that though because when I first kind of started when I first started getting cast finally when I started getting cast on camera. It wasn't necessarily for the, I was never the love interest. I was never the kind of the quote unquote, you know, leading man. I, I started getting cast as the guy who looked like a good guy, but was really a terrible guy, <laughs> which, yeah, what does that, you know, again, what does that say about me? But, I, but I actually love that because, um, I think it, it's, it, it was always very interesting to me. And then even, even when, um, Graceland happened, uh, you know, that the, the guy on the page was kind of this top of his class, squeaky clean, all of these things. But I had all these questions for Jeff Easton, the creator, because I and then immediately go undercover that I actually just just a way to kind of what I'd learned from doing those that other work is yeah. this guy that looks like a nice guy, but is not a nice guy. I, f I feel like I learned how to bank my shot when I got, when I then was doing Graceland because sure. he was this guy that I, I tried to use and, and build that character and they, and they really wrote to it as a guy that because he's, was the top of his class, because he's kind of so buttoned up that everyone would underestimate him. Yes. Um, and so I, I learned a lot from, from playing parts like that. And I think that it's, um, well, it's the contradictions. It's yeah. the friction. I mean, that's the yeah. stuff to chew on as an actor. I yeah. mean, it, probably it's rewarding in its own way to do someone that's like at face value. Yeah. Literally is what they are. And yeah. that's maybe a broad, fun performance. Yeah. But yeah, I've, I've, I've been very, um, I've, I haven't had to play too many uh, princes, which is, right. has been infinitely interesting to me. And even Christian right now, you know, I mean, he's this kind of, it's this, it's this incredible love story, but it's so much more, you know, I think the what i what i get to kind of rip open in the second act of the show is is really amazing so to, to jump around a bit i mean we obviously should mention les mis which yeah. was such a, a big moment yeah. for you and for any musical theater fan yeah. to see that, that that interpretation that gorgeous interpretation mm -hmm. on the big screen um and i think it was striking for many people because it was like okay all these people make sense mm -hmm. in like they're doing this a certain way. Yeah. They're casting like amazing movie stars that have great voices. Yeah. And then who's this guy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who's this guy? Yeah. So did it feel, but did it feel that way where like suddenly when the cast assembled around you and you like were at the table read or you were at rehearsals and you're like, Oh yeah. wait a second. It felt, um, yeah, it definitely felt that way when I got, and that's the other thing talking about shock and awe about getting jobs. I, um, Catching Vacan was the last show I did on Broadway. That closed in Labor Day of 2011. I was absolutely devastated when it closed. Um, we had worked on that for so long. I I can't say that I didn't feel like it was like my fault because I was on stage for three hours. I really put I really put that burden on myself, and it was really difficult. But then a month later, within two days of each other, I got I got the Graceland pilot and cast in Lemus, and so. You know, and if and if Catch Me If You Can had continued to go, that never would have happened for me. Right. So that's just another thing about like the crazy path you go as as an actor, an artist that you never know what's around. You know, sure. what's going to happen. But yeah, no, Les Mis, um Luckily, Tom Hooper, from the moment that I met him in our first work session, I could tell he basically he he didn't he didn't hide that I was his guy. Yeah, you know, and he he he. When we were in rehearsal for, uh, for the movie, there was a moment where Universal was going to pull the live singing, 
Oh wow. Yeah, at kind of at the you know we had a six week rehearsal. We, they, they were starting. Feet. They, they were, were starting like, filming yeah. like now in March, and I think they got cold feet. Yeah. And you know, the incredible thing about Tom, I think he you know he'd been eighteen months of pre production at this point, and he went to them and he said, "If you pull the live singing, I'm quitting this job." So the whole thing would have fell apart. And uh, but what he what the compromise they made was is they wanted to see a camera test with the singing, and so he he pulled up the ABC. We shot the whole ABC cafe scene mm. basically, which was my number to sing. And um, we, because he wanted to prove that it could work, and then I, I'll never forget. About a week later, they found out that it was on a go, and they were okay. We were at Pinewood Studios in London, and Tom pulled me aside, like on a little break, and he said, "You know, come with me for a minute." And we went to the, you know, they have like a full movie theater at Pinewood, right. and he, we, Tom and I just sat, and you know, he played what we had shot with the live singing. And uh, he just turned to me, he just turned to me and said thank you. Wow, you know. So yeah. that was so he, he very quickly and he very quickly made me feel so welcome and apart and important. Um, and then Hugh Jackman, who I'd kind of known, you know, I, I'd, I'd met him through Mark and Scott through right. Catch Me Can World, and he came to the Catch Me Can opening. And very soon after I'd gotten cast, he was doing a one man show on Broadway at the time. Yep. And so I went to watch his one man show on Broadway just as a fan or whatever and in the middle of the show he basically made them turn the house lights up and made me stand up and said to the audience and everyone that I had just been cast in Les Mis wow. and it was like the smartest thing the producers could have ever done because I mean, come on. I, so it's like <laughs> so the, you know I so f between Tom and Hugh right from the get yeah um but you know but Eddie and I got along get on immediately so well and um you know we were in that rehearsal process Tom just had like the Victor Hugo novel out and anytime we had a question, we would just open, you know, cause there, there, there's chapters and chapters about those guys on the barricades and the novel. And so we would just flip to the thing and say, okay, that's our answer. And so th that was such a wonderful process because it took the, the, like the onus or responsibility of having to do Les Mis off of our shoulders. Sure. And instead we were just telling the story that we were, you know, could reference this material. I, I've talked to, I've had the pleasure of talking to all the folks that you, you've mentioned many times. And I've asked a lot of people that one of those stock silly questions is like, like who's the best karaoke or you've ever yeah. uh, 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 karaoke with. And Eddie's name has come up oh, yeah. quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. He's sneaky, man. Have you karaoke with Eddie? Redmond? I've not kar karaoke with him, but um, I mean, you need to karaoke off. Cause was, you, if uh, any man can maybe challenge him, I maybe can do it. Yeah. <laughs> maybe I'll, I'll hold the banner for everyone else. Maybe no, Eddie, uh, yeah, he likes, he, 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 I think he, uh, really discovered his own voice through that as well. You know, yeah. I think at the beginning he was a little nervous about the singing aspects of it and, but no, he was, he was so fantastic and he worked his ass off to get there. One of my favorite pieces of video is the, I think it's the rehearsal that you guys are doing for the Oscar mm -hmm. show Yeah, and to see there, there are different levels. I feel like a confidence in that room yeah. oh, because yeah. some of them are yeah. movie stars that yeah. don't do this every day. Yeah. And then it's like, it co goes over to you and it's yeah. like, okay, this guy's got it. Yeah. <laughs> this guy knows what's doing. Well, that was, that was, uh, that was interesting because every, you know, that was such a, you know, it's one thing to get these movie stars to sing in the movie, totally. but then to have them go up in front of basically All their, their peers. entire yeah. peers <laughs> and critics and yep. everyone. I mean, I thought it was, so, I was so impressed that they all did it um, and that it came off so well. But yeah, there was definitely varying degrees of nervousness. And for me, because I had performed at that point twice on the Tony Awards, it was basically the same formula as performing on the Tonys. Yeah. And so besides the fact that when I got to my final number directly in front of me were the cutouts of Daniel Day-Lewis and Robert De Niro, <laughs> and then I would be singing to them. 
Besides okay. that, I was really <laughs> leaning on my, my kind of previous Tony performance experience. So on the actual live, did you see, do you lock eyes with Daniel Day-Lewis and Robert De Niro? I, I, I checked in with them. I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to lock eyes because like, I didn't want to like, doing, I don't want to burn away. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I think, you know, I think De Niro was very appropriately making a De Niro face. Totally. Oh. And, uh, and Daniel Day-Lewis was, uh, watching us like he maybe was going to apprentice or singing of course he was so interested yeah he was i'd like to apprentice with he's you like, for maybe a year I should Aaron. do this yeah yes, yeah exactly yeah. what you do, what you do. <laughs> um, i've seen him out in the wild sometimes here in new york and you're always like oh he exists in our world oh my gosh he seems like he's like a nymph fairy or something that shouldn't be in our plane of existence i heard a story that i think is absolutely wonderful that i think he was a, a guest teacher at juilliard uh-huh. and you know of course a lot of people were excited that he was going in and i think someone told me that he took his class to Central Park and just made them look at flowers. Perfect. And I Perfect. think um, I, don't, I don't think the faculty was very happy with that. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the anti Bill Murray. Yeah. it's like those kind of stories for yeah whatever. Yeah, anyway, yeah. <laughs> it seems like a conscious choice since then. I mean, I know a couple of the questions you always get before this one was like, when are you going back to Broadway? Yeah. And probably the other one is, why haven't you done another movie musical? I mean, yeah. Les Mis is the only one you've done. Yeah. Um, I could imagine. I mean, and they're making them. Yeah. So I would think they call you up. You do you audition for them? Is it a conscious effort to like distinguish yourself in other areas? And no, there's not... been there's been a couple things. I mean, you know, the Grease Live thing kind of, even right. though it was TV, that was much that. Uh, if I do say so for myself, I think our live musical was much more like a film. Um, no, it was an amazing and, production uh, that Tommy did. Yeah, but yeah, I think uh, I definitely want to do more. You know, I I, I mean, I've, I've said it to I've said it to Cameron McIntosh since we were on set with Les Mis, when are you making the Miss Saigon musical? Because I, I've, I'm, I've always thought that actually that a film, the state, that stage show is so amazing and that music is so incredible. Yeah. But I actually think a film can tell the story of the fall of Saigon even better than you can on stage. Sure. So, so I've always, you know, we'll see if I'm still young enough to do that if they ever make it. Um, you didn't get into Cats. Sorry about didn't, that. I didn't get into Cats. Tom didn't call you up for Cats. Maybe that was a good thing. Maybe, yeah. Um, <laughs> Retrospect. No, they didn't, they didn't call me up for that. But um, actually, I didn't... I didn't uh, I knew they were. I knew they were making it, but there's really there's not a part for right, me in cats. Right. Also, um, <laughs> now where do you come down on the controversial? You mentioned uh, Little Shop before. Yeah, is Taron Egerton too attractive to play Seymour? Should Seymour be an attractive? Should it be Rick Moranis or Taron Egerton? Hmm. You know, I I I do lean to the side of it's. I think every part should be the best person for the part. You know, what, however it works sure. out. Now that you know that being said, of course, I think you should probably lean into. You know, it, it, listen. If he can pull off being a, if it works that he's meek and um, doesn't, you, you're, you're going to think that Audrey's not going to go for him. Sure. Great. If yeah. that doesn't work, then there's a storytelling problem. So right, right, right. right. You know. Are you curious about uh, Spielberg doing a, another West Side Story? I mean, the first one was pretty good. The first one is, <laughs> the first one's okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but listen, I, but that's something too that if someone's going to do West Side Story. It's got to be somebody with the cal- caliber of Steven Spielberg, yeah. you know. And I think that anytime you remake something, anytime you translate something from film to stage, like there has to be a reason to retell it in a different way. Sure. Um, I think that subject matter is uh, much, you know, much as the success of the the show on Broadway right now. I think that story and that subject matter so is so uh, poignant for 2020. Sure. Uh, so yeah, I mean, listen, it's Steven Spielberg, so I trust him. 
what's your life like right now? Like how, how what the, are you living like a monk? Like, are you, is it fun outside uh, of the theater or are you, you able know, to, I used to, I used to really, really live like a monk when I was in a show, when I was doing catch me can, I did nothing but work and go home and sit on my couch and play video games and go to sleep. And i I have to say, I don't know if it's because I'm a bit older now or because I found a much better work-life balance. I mean, it's still very, very work-heavy leaning, but right. I'm able to like go out and have a beer with buddies, or you know, go get dinner or something after the show. Not every night, but I've I've been able to work that in, yeah, more so than I used to. But besides that, it's um, I mean, I have a massage after this. I'm, I'm my shoulder is taped under my shirt. Wait, have am I, I doing it? You didn't tell me I was. Oh yeah, yeah, have to no, you have too. that after this. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> right after this. Um, For the podcast package I offer here. Yep. Um, but my, you know, my shoulders taped for my chiropractic appointment yesterday. I oh, get PT gosh. twice a week, yeah. so it's all it's all of that. That's all it, that stuff. Is it a coincidence that your dog looks like Chewbacca, or is... <laughs> he does look like Chewy? Um, <laughs> it's so funny now. Now that I have now that I have him, since I've have him. Anytime I watch a film that has any kind of animal or like even the new Star Wars watching Chewbacca, I've, I've su- like Chewie's like my favorite character now when I watch <laughs> Star Wars because I basically, I think I place miles onto sure. all of these characters. Yeah. Um, no, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a great guy. He's a great, he's a great little guy. He's a gregarious fellow. He loves everyone and everything and everyone loves him. Oh, yeah. I'm glad he's in your life. Yeah. He's a good guy. <laughs> Um, congratulations on this amazing run. How many, so how many more months are you definitely doing of this? Do you know, is it open-ended kind of, or? I'm there at least till September. Uh, but I will, I mean, I'm, I'm planning to do this for, for a while. So I'm, I have no, I have no, um, I have no interest. No, I'm not itching to get out of there. You know, I just think, uh, I think it's a very rare thing to be in a show that is so fulfilling that you believe in that has found critical success and people are buying tickets. Yes. You know, that's like a, yes. that's quite, it's a, it's a very rare alchemy, especially for a commercial musical. So for me, it's, you know, and maybe it's because I, I do kind of get to do a lot of different stuff. Um, I just feel like, uh, that, you know, that stuff will be there. You know, I, yeah. uh, the, 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 I'll, you know, television film, it'll, it'll, that's not going anywhere. So it's like, I'm going to do this right now until, something else, you know, comes up. No, I mean, as I said, I've seen it a bunch and every time I, you know, leaving the theater, you, you have a sense, I mean, obviously you have a sense of the people that jump to their feet, but also it's like you get more than your money's worth in this oh, yeah. one. It's, it's, it's just a sensory overload. And yeah. just like one of my agents oh. said that very early on in yeah. Boston, he said, you know, he said, people can say whatever they want about this, but this is one show on Broadway that you get what you pay for Definitely. your ticket price. And you can't say that about every show. Definitely. So I, th- I think that's a really good thing about it. Uh, congratulations on completing your first solo podcast. Aaron. Thank you, Josh. You're I really, pre- I really appreciate it, and I can't wait for my massage. <laughs> wait, no. Oh. <laughs> and so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. <laughs>